following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here with us and so glad to know there's a bunch of you that have joined us online this morning. You know, those of us in the room sometimes forget we got a whole bunch of folks that have joined us online. And every week I get the chance to greet them, to let them know that we're glad they're here. Many folks that join us for the first time join us online before they ever set foot in the room. And I thought this morning it might be great for you to let them know that you're glad that they're here as well. So can we all welcome the folks that have joined us online this morning? Yeah, so glad you are here. If you have a Bible or on your mobile app, you can go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. I want to begin with a question. I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. A little audience participation, but don't raise your hands just yet. I'm going to put the question out there, and then I'll kind of expand on it, and then I'll give you the opportunity, all of us together, to, uh, to respond. Okay, here's the question. Did anybody this week, and, and remember, We've been talking about doing some spiritual introspection, right? Being really honest about what's going on underneath the surface in our lives, right? So did anybody in the room this week experience frustration, right? <laughs> anybody along the way? Like, did you find yourself feeling frustrated? Did you find yourself um, experiencing disappointment, anger, annoyance, dissatisfaction, irritation, exasperation, indignation? Any of those feelings apply to anybody in this room this week? Here's your opportunity. Raise your hands up high, right? Anybody? Look around the room. Look around. Raise them up. All of us, right? In some ways, both, both small and sometimes great, we've experienced frustration, annoyance, disappointment, exasperation, indignation. Now, we can laugh about how universal that experience is. Of course, we also need to acknowledge that for some, those feelings this week have been deeply soulish feelings. We all experience that sense of frustration, that sense of coming to the end of ourselves. And I want to suggest this morning that when we experience those kinds of feelings in our lives, often it is because we are bumping up against our limits. That we find ourselves going through life and we don't like to acknowledge it. We sometimes live as though we don't, but the reality is true for all of us that we all have limits. God has made us finite, limited creatures. And we find ourselves feeling frustration and annoyance and exasperation when we hit our limits. This, this often works out for us in sort of one of two directions, too much or not enough, right? There's, there's too much for me to do. There's, there's too much that I want to accomplish. There's too much that, that, that I need to get after. Too many people who have needs, uh, too many people that I need to help. There's just too much or not enough. I don't have enough time. I, I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough mental or emotional capacity. I, I don't have enough, uh, I don't have it together enough. I haven't worked hard enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not enough. And we bump up against our limits. And I wonder if anybody besides me knows what I'm talking about. I, I gotta tell you, just this morning, 
um, I bumped up against some limits, right? I didn't sleep great last night, had a rough night's sleep. That's a limit for me to get up here and do this on a rough night's sleep. I got up, was working on my sermon, had computer issues this morning. I couldn't save my sermon. To, like, I was having tech issues. I got in my car. My car would not start this morning. It was like God saying, preacher, how you doing with the sermon, right? Because we all have limits that we bump up against. But here's what I want to suggest this morning. That oftentimes we approach the limits in our lives as obstacles to be overcome. But what if, what if, what if at least some of those experiences of running into our limits are not obstacles to be overcome, but gifts to be received? What if God has something for us, even in our experience of our limits. You know, over the course of the last few weeks, we've been talking about that as we move into 2023, that we wanna go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus by going deeper into emotional and spiritual health and having greater impact, missional impact in the world. That, that we recognize that uh, to be uh, emotionally mature and spiritually mature are bound up together. That this is work that God wants to do in all of us beneath the surface of our lives. And, and given what we've all lived through collectively over the course of the last few years, and given the circumstances of each of our lives, I think God wants all of us to go deeper in emotional and spiritual health, to experience his healing power in our lives in fresh and new waves, and to invite more and more people into experiencing the healing that Jesus came to bring. And so we've been talking about how do we experience greater emotional and spiritual maturity in our lives. And this week, we're talking about living within our limits. I, I really love Pete Scazzaro's words on this. I've told you about Pete Scazzaro and his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He also has a book called The Emotionally Healthy Church, Right, where he addresses not just us individually, but, but us collectively. And here's what he says in that book. He says, emotionally healthy people understand the limits God has given them. As a result, they're not frenzied and covetous, trying to live a life that God never intended. They are marked by contentment and joy. And emotionally healthy churches also embrace their limits with the same joy and contentment, not attempting to be like another church. They have a confident sense of God's good hand on their church for such a time as this. And friends, I want to be that kind of person who lives with a sense of joy and contentment, not trying to live a life that God doesn't have for me. And I want us to be that kind of church, confident in who God has called us to be, unique, distinct, different, but to be confident of God's good hand on our church for such a time as this. And so we need to wrestle with this issue of limits, recognizing that perhaps, just perhaps, the limits that we experience in our lives are not obstacles to be overcome, but at least some of them are gifts to be received. Now, the reason I make that caveat, some of them are gifts to be received, is that there are some limits in our lives that I think we should push against. There are limits in our lives that we should seek to expand. For example, your maturity is a limit in your life. 
right? Your spiritual maturity, your, your emotional maturity is a limit in your life. It's a limit in your relationships. And it's not a limit that we just should say, well, this, it's just me, right? That we should actually say, no, I wanna go deeper. Jesus, I wanna go deeper in my discipleship to you. I wanna go deeper in spiritual maturity. I wanna go deeper in emotional maturity. This is a limit that we should push against and seek to expand. Another example would be your um, moral defects, that all of us have areas of struggle in our lives that uh, we should never just adopt the mentality that says, well, this, this is just the way it is. It's just the way I am. I've struggled with this, with this for years and I'm just gonna continue. We, we can't just accept the moral defects in our lives. That's a limit we should push against and seek to expand. But here's the thing. Here's the limit that you have to embrace. Your ability to deepen your maturity and grow in your moral character is beyond your capacity to do in your strength alone. That you need a strength greater than yourself, outside of yourself, to come in and do a work in you. And so there are those limits that we push against and we seek to expand, but there's also the reality that sometimes we experience limits that come to us from God. And he has something for us in them. For example of some of these, there are limits of your time. Right? And this is one that we really struggle with in our day and age. Right? There's so much to get done, so much to accomplish, and, and yet we live as finite creatures bound by time. Limits of time. Limits of your personality. Right? We talked about a few weeks ago, God made you, designed you. He, he formed your kidneys in the language of the Hebrews. Right, The seat of your emotion, your disposition, your personality. And it has limits. I, for example, am an introvert. As an introvert, I have limits in terms of my capacity to be in social situations. It doesn't mean I avoid them, but it means when I'm in those spaces, it just, it drains me. And so that for me is a limit. You, you've heard of FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Us introverts experience JOMO, the joy of missing out, <laughs> right? Introverts, you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen, right? Right now... Now, that doesn't mean that I don't engage in, in social settings and, and, and find great joy in doing so. It just means it wears me out. It's a limit. Limits to our time, limits to our personality. Um, limits uh, to our, uh, our emotional, spiritual, and intellectual capacity. They were all limited in that regard. Some of you know, I've, over the last few weeks, just been experiencing some kind of weird health challenges, and uh, so I was sharing with uh, our elders and I talked to one of them. I was like, you know, I feel like I turned 50 and I'm just falling apart. And his response was, yeah, your warranty ran out, right? <laughs> How's that for wisdom and, and empathy, right? From one of our elders, right? They don't call them elders for no reason, I suppose. So um, uh, I see you. <laughs> um, right, so, but, but physical limits, emotional limits, intellectual limits, Right? Um, limits of your season of life. Right? That, that you, you may find yourself right now in a season of life that you just feel frustrated by. That, that they're just limits. Limits of your marriage or your singleness. Because each of them come with their own kinds of limits. So the challenge for us is to live within the limits of our lives and recognize that 
At least in some cases, these are not merely obstacles to be overcome, but, but even gifts to be received. I want to look with you at this passage from the Apostle Paul, who speaks about a limit in his own life, a painful limit in his life. And I think there's something here for all of us. Now, the context here in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and responding to some of the challenges of these people who have sort of risen up in opposition to him and and his authority and his leadership. And Paul's opponents in this context are really boasting about their own spiritual experiences and sort of saying, who's Paul? What does Paul know? Paul's nothing, right? And they boast about their own spiritual experiences. And, And Paul here in the context is saying, listen, I got a spiritual experience I can tell you about. In fact, it's a spiritual experience beyond my ability to fully explain. But that's not what I boast about. Because my spiritual experience isn't all that I got. I I got something else. And he writes this in verse seven. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul talks about this limit in his life. This, he calls it a thorn in the flesh. And, and, and this word that he uses, um, scolops, is, is not just sort of an every rose has its thorn kind of thorn. This is a word that would be used to refer to a dangerously sharp weapon or tool, to a pike, right? To, to the kind of stake that an enemy's head would be impaled upon after being decapitated. Right? This is a strong metaphor to talk about something that, that hurts, Right? And Paul uses this language to talk about his thorn in the flesh. Now, down through the centuries, there have been all kinds of speculation about what Paul's thorn might have been. Some have suggested it was a, a physical affliction, um, perhaps with his eyesight. Some have suggested maybe epilepsy, but some kind of physical affliction that Paul suffered from. Others have suggested that maybe this was actually just this reoccurring temptation that Paul found himself continued to be plagued by. Others suggested that that perhaps this is Paul's way of referring to the just relentless opposition that he received from every direction. The the truth of the matter is we don't know what Paul's thorn was. And I, for one, am so grateful because I think that allows all of us to say maybe his is kind of like mine. Paul says, I... This thorn in the flesh. And, and, and interesting, the language is really important here. I was given a thorn. Now, Paul says it was a messenger of Satan, right? That, that, the, that the adversary wanted to use this in my life. He's not saying necessarily this is a good thing, but he is saying, I was given this. And God had a purpose for me in this. He says, I was given this thorn to keep me from being conceited, at least in part for Paul. This limit in his life was an opportunity for humility. 
right? Paul had had this incredible spiritual experience and to keep Paul from having this sense of confidence himself, this sense of I'm really a big deal and I got it together, thank you very much, that Paul is given an opportunity to be reminded of the reality of his weakness and dependence. It's interesting, in the ancient world, uh, when a, an emperor would uh, conquer a territory and they would do a big parade, um, and the emperor would come up behind the parade, and of course the people would be surrounding the emperor and cheering for that emperor, but there was one who was assigned to ride alongside the emperor to say, remember, you're merely mortal. Remember, you're merely mortal. And there's some sense where Paul recognizes that the thorn that he experienced in his life was a way for him to be reminded, you are merely mortal, to be reminded of the reality of his own weakness and dependence on God, an opportunity for humility. I love the way that Rich Viotis, who was actually the successor to Pete Scazzaro at New Life Fellowship in New York, Rich in his book, Good, Good and Beautiful and Kind, he says this, when we envision humility, we often think about taking on menial duties that no one else wants to do. And of course, that's a facet of it. We have in mind someone who doesn't seek the spotlight but shines the light on others. And again, another good image of a humble life. But the angle of humility that we desperately need for our fractured world is seeing it as the ability to live freely from protecting the false self. Living free from the defensiveness that closes us in on ourselves. Over the course of these last few weeks, we've been talking about taking off the old self and putting on the new, taking off the false self and putting on the true. And, and, and pride is a way that we try to protect the false self. We try to project an image to the world that we've got it all together. And humility says, I am who I am. I, I am where I am. Humility, then, is the commitment to live from the true self, with all its weakness and limitation. Our limits are opportunities for humility. And, and Paul here says, I was given this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, and three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, take it away, take it away. Now, I think the, 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 the church in Corinth was expecting a certain response here. Like Paul goes to God, says, God, take it away. And, and God doesn't take it away. So Paul goes back and says again, God, take it away. He doesn't take it away. A third time, Paul goes and says, God, take it away. And they're sort of expecting, and he took it away. And that's not the response at all. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I am enough for you. Trust me. That in our limits, we find an invitation to trust. And if you think about it, you, you go back to the very beginning of the biblical story, right? This archetypal story of the, the first humans in the garden. This story that makes sense of the story of all of our lives. That the breakdown between God and humanity in the garden is a breakdown of trust. God had, had given all of this provision and one limitation. And he says to them, trust me, 
And then the serpent comes along and says, did God really say that you can't eat? And no, no, that's not what he said. And the serpent says, no, God's holding out on you because he knows when you eat of that tree, you will be like him. And of course, that is the temptation that seduces them. We wanna be like him. We wanna be sovereign and in control. The temptation was to step out from under God's care, protection, and provision and to go their own way. The fundamental breakdown between God and humanity in the garden is a breakdown of trust. And so is it any wonder then that throughout the rest of the Bible, time and time and time again, in story after story after story after story, God is saying to his people, trust me. Is it any surprise that the invitation of Jesus, the invitation to to salvation, to, to forgiveness of sin, to eternal life with God is simply Trust me. That God's invitation to your life and mine in the midst of whatever it is that we are going through is trust me. I am enough for you. Our limits are for us an invitation to trust. He comes to all of us in our weakness with our limits, with our frustrations, with our disappointments, with our exasperation. And he says, trust me, I'm enough for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I love you, accept you, and hold you in my hands right where you are with all that you have and all that you lack. I'm here. I've got you. Trust me. Paul says, take it away, take it away, take it away. And God says, my grace is sufficient. An invitation of trust. And so Paul then in response to what God has spoken to him says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Several months ago, I had the opportunity to have this conversation with uh, Moses Uver. Some of you remember Moses. Moses served here on our staff as our middle school pastor for a number of years. And then a couple of years ago, we as a church sent Moses out to plant a church in Garland. And, and Vine of Life Church exists in Garland right now because of your faithfulness, your generosity, your prayers. You have been a part, we have been a part of launching um, the Well Church in Keller, uh, the Grove Church in Alito, and Vine of Life in Garland. And Moses was over here and he was just sharing, he was sharing, frankly, some of the really hardships that he was experiencing as the pastor of this church plant, launching a church in the middle of a global pandemic. And he was just kind of rehearsing some of the hard things that they've gone through as a church, some of the adversity and the, the challenges, the limitations. But, but in each thing that he shared with me, but he said, but God is good. God is good. God is good. And he was speaking to me as I was fighting through just some, some of that sense of limitation, some of that sense of, 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 of discouragement, that he was speaking to me, God is good, God is good, God is good. And I said something to him in response, and this wasn't the, the wise older sage of a pastor speaking to the, to, to the young guy in ministry. This was, this was me saying back to him what I was hearing from him that was ministering to me. I said, Moses, if it's really true that... Uh, 
that we experience God's strength perfected in our weakness, then we don't really know God's strength until we find ourselves in circumstances that really reveal our weakness. And maybe that's a word for you this morning. That if it's really true that that God's strength is perfected in our weakness, then we won't really know his strength until we're in circumstances that really reveal our weakness. There's a passage at the beginning of 2 Corinthians that has become a favorite of mine over the course of the last couple of years that's just really spoken powerfully to me in the face of the circumstances that, that, that the we that I've been through in, in the last couple of years. And, and Paul, in setting up this letter to the church in Corinth, says this in chapter one, verse eight. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we experienced in the province of Asia. Anybody here know some troubles? He says, we were under great pressure. Anybody else relates to some great pressure? Far beyond our ability to endure. Like Paul is saying, this just felt like, just, this is too much, God. So that we despaired even of life itself. We didn't know if we were gonna make it. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but... And don't you love a good divinely inspired but? (laughs) Right? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This this great pressure, too much. We don't know if we're going to make it. This happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And just for good measure, a reminder, he's the one who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. That in our limits, with our thorns, there is that doorway to his strength. When I am weak, then I am strong. Charles Spurgeon was uh, an English preacher of a century ago. And uh, Spurgeon was known as the prince of preachers. From very early on in his ministry, Spurgeon had people streaming to hear him preach. Thousands of people that listened to him preach. and, And lives deeply changed, transformed because of his ministry of preaching the word. And Spurgeon, this incredibly successful, dynamic, powerful preacher, also lived with crushing depression, chronic pain, and a wife who spent nearly three decades practically bedridden until her death. Spurgeon knew, of which he spoke in his sermon on this passage, And he says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold thee, sufficient to strengthen thee, sufficient to comfort thee, sufficient to make thy troubles useful to thee, sufficient to enable thee to triumph over them, sufficient to bring thee out, sufficient to bring thee out of 10,000 like it, 
sufficient to bring thee home to heaven. Whatever would be good for thee, Christ's grace is sufficient to bestow. Whatever would harm thee, his grace is sufficient to avert. Whatever thou desirest, his grace is sufficient to give thee, if it be good for thee. Whatever thou wouldst avoid, his grace can shield thee from it, if so his wisdom shall dictate. Here let me press upon you the pleasing duty of taking home the promise personally at this moment. For no believer here need be under any fear, since for him also, at this very instant, the grace of the Lord Jesus is sufficient. Here, friends, in this moment, no believer should be under any fear, for his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in your weakness. So what if, what if, what if our limits are not obstacles to be overcome, but gifts to be received, an opportunity for humility, an invitation to trust, and a doorway to strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. You are enough for us, whatever it is that we're carrying today. Right where we are, as who we are, with all that we have and all that we lack. And we often, like Paul, pray, change my circumstances, change my circumstances, change my circumstances. But we recognize, Lord, that oftentimes your desire is to change us. To uh, give us that opportunity for humility, to, to invite us deeper into trust. To allow us to know your strength in our lives. When we say, I am weak, you are strong. Be strong in me. And we thank you this morning for the sufficiency of your grace that we're reminded of when we contemplate the cross and resurrection of Jesus. As we come to these elements of communion that speak to us powerfully of the sufficiency of your grace in our lives. And so we pause for a moment of silent reflection before we partake of these elements to bring to you anything that's on our hearts this morning. And he says to each of us, my grace is sufficient for you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.